411 Live. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. I'm Beverly Taylor. Today's episode, I want to start with a personal story. Recently, I was headed to record a podcast, and I was driving along Highway 45. Traffic was at a crawl. So I decided to get off at Hampton and then cut over on 124th Street. Looked at my rearview mirror, blue lights right behind me. So I pulled over, the officer came to the car, and he said, you were speeding. And I told him, you know what, I was not paying attention, so you're probably right. I was focused on a podcast I was about to do. And he said, well, so what's the podcast about? And I said, sex trafficking. He said, hmm. Took my driver's license, went to his car. He came back. He said, I'm going to give you a warning, slow down. And then he said, and thank you for doing this topic on sex trafficking. He got it. The 411 Live is committed to bringing awareness to sex trafficking. Just like that officer knew that it was a real problem, we know it is too. We want to talk about it. We want to expand the conversation. And we bring in different guests for our podcast to do that. But we have lots of other things going on, too. There is a five-part docudrama profiling a uh, sex trafficking survivor. There are workshops on this. A lot of different things. So we want to increase the conversation Put the topic to the forefront. Today, we are talking about domestic violence and how it relates to sex trafficking. And we brought an expert, Dawn Jones. She is the former lieutenant with the Milwaukee Police Department. Dawn, thank you so much for coming and shedding some light on this important topic. Thank you for having me. I have to mention that we met at one of the workshops put on by the 411 Live. And before the actual event started, we were sitting next to each other and just talking, talking, talking. And I was so interested. And then the event started and we had to end the conversation. So I'm really, really thrilled that you are here today so we could, you know, lay it out and talk a little bit more about uh, a lot of different things. Let's start back uh, let me, first of all, invite you, as you're listening to this conversation, feel free to write down your comments, send us your comments, your questions, and your suggestions, because you are part of this. First of all, I want to know, when did you uh, get onto the Milwaukee Police Department? I was uh, assigned to the Milwaukee Police Department in um, September of 1993. 93. What made you want to become an officer? Well, there were several things that I thought about. One was the money because I didn't make much money back mm -hmm. then. But two, I grew up on 43rd and Valit. And I I know the area, for the most part, is a uh, had always been a pretty decent area. But our block always seemed to have um, trouble. We had uh, drug houses and uh, 
it was not uncommon for the officers to come down the street with their uh, guns drawn and going through the yards. And and I often remembered when we would call them, um, they would uh, say explicit things and tell us to get in our house as if we were subhuman. And I thought, you know, we may not have a lot of money, but we're people. And Really, back then, I never realized how segregated Milwaukee was because on our block, we had every nationality, we had every religion, and all we knew was that we were poor, mm-hmm. and and we survived with each other, and we found a commonality, and it didn't make sense to me until later when I became an officer, how segregated it was. And that, that made me really sad because I'm born and raised Milwaukee. I went to Pulaski High School. I seen different ways that people treated people of different uh, races, different religions. And for me, that was really sad because all my friends were of de- many diff- different mixed races. Right. And uh, I thought, well, how can I change not only how people perceive officers and how they need to go to somebody to get help. They need somebody they can trust, but to change the view on on each other and make it a better place. You grew up on an area that they classify as marginal, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Um, Then you joined the police department because you want to make a difference. How did you progress to the sex trafficking task force? It was actually... Um, in my opinion, all all God's will. I my day letter came up. I was working narcotics. I was working undercover and and having a really um, good time on the police department. It was a lot of fun working narcotics. And now my day shift letter um, arrived, and I had to decide whether I wanted to continue to work narcotics or move on and go somewhere else. Day shift. And they asked me if I wanted to stay at Vice Control Days. And I said, yes, because um, I'm having the time of my life. And uh, they said, you have to do this sex trafficking, this human trafficking. And I said, what is that? And it was funny because they said, well, we're not really sure, but we have a grant and we have to <laughs> fill that position. So I was the fourth office or fourth investigator, fourth detective assigned to the human trafficking grant at that time. And that was in 2007. And so they said that the last detective left all the materials for me. So I started going through the materials and I realized that this was something I seen my entire life. When I'm waiting on the bus stop on uh, 27th and Wells or 27th and Wisconsin, yeah. I, I saw this. And many of my friends that had gone to Pulaski when we'd ride the bus back and then I'd see uh, men pick them up and um, realizing after talking to them later that, they had been sex trafficked. And for me, it was a realization that as an officer, this has gone on for so many years and how many cases did I miss right in front of my own eyes. It was a little disheartening, but um, also empowering as well. Wow. So it's hidden in plain sight. That's really true, isn't it? It's really true. Yeah. So when you were young, riding the bus to Pulaski High School, what were you saying? I seen a lot of um, uh, prostitution events going mm-hmm. on. I uh, would see many of my friends get approached, and some of them would go into the cars with the the gentleman, and 
and some of them would fall off the face of the earth. Some of them would be uh, placed into group homes, and uh, they would talk about this lifestyle and not really knowing what it was. They wouldn't talk about prostitution, but as I, as I know it now, some of the indicators that they had with their nails done and new clothes and their hair done, knowing that there's no way them or their family could have afforded it because we knew each other that right. well, that something definitely more was going on. Wow. Big awareness. What other things, as you were you know, studying up on sex trafficking, human trafficking, and I should say human trafficking is that broad umbrella and sex trafficking is underneath that. That's correct. What myths or things that just blew your mind? Well, I think how widespread it is uh, blew my mind that anybody can truly be a victim. And a lot of people think this is uh, a Milwaukee problem. It is not a Milwaukee Mm -hmm. problem. It's been identified in every county in the state of Wisconsin. Many of my cases took me to Onalaska, Wisconsin, Eau Claire, and where young ladies were found down in Milwaukee, brought from those locations, um, Appleton, Green Bay, Wausau, Wow. It is anywhere, and and that really blew my mind. The other thing I think that blew my mind is how ready society, law enforcement, and uh, many other uh, social services were to blame the victim as being at fault. That was another question that I, I did have. I was just wondering, did the officers treat sex trafficking victims as victims? I think we had some officers that were well-versed in sex trafficking and they did treat them well. I still think in today's uh, era, there's a lot of education that needs to be done. I don't believe that uh, many people in the police department understand the seriousness of sex trafficking and the control that the traffickers have and how we create more trauma for sex trafficking victims by not identifying it and then treating them as victims. Because when you don't respond or don't respond correctly, that pushes them back behind the curtain, I guess. Yeah, it, it, in, in, it enables the trafficker to have more control on them. And you've seen in many different uh police municipalities where they do prostitution stings. And nowadays, some of them call them uh, human trafficking recovery stings. Well, the reality is every time those victims are issued a citation or given a state arrest, that makes the trafficker stronger and it prevents the victim from coming forward. And we can try and, and as law enforcement, hide behind the fact that we've given them the opportunity to disclose, but the reality is they're trauma victims. And trauma victims disclose in their own time. If we force them to to disclose, we're no different than the trafficker, and we can create more problems for them by doing that. And as law enforcement, if we're not prepared for what is going to come out of their mouth, such as, hey, they have my child at this house and I haven't seen my child in three months and I have to make $1,000 before I can see my child back. They need to be prepared for those scenarios. A lot of times they're not. They just want to hear, yes, this is my trafficker and okay, now they start a case. And it's not that simple. And 
when we have individuals, and, and I know from my experience, we've had traffickers in Mexico, and how are we going to help this individual in Milwaukee to prevent uh, a 12 or 14-year-old in Mexico from being trafficked and her family being in, in Mexico and protecting them? So realizing how the extent of, of the control of the trafficker and what you're truly going to deal with um, and being prepared for that is one thing. And when a trafficking victim discloses to law enforcement, mm-hmm. they are taking and trusting that law enforcement officer with their life. And so if you're not prepared to go for the next 24 hours doing everything you can, then you let them disclose in their time because otherwise you are no different than the trafficker and you're going to let them um, down and you're going to cause harm and they will be in a, a state of mind where they truly have no hope. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. Wow. Uh, we're going to talk when we come back. If officers are gaining this knowledge, because this is serious. This is serious stuff. We're with Don Jones, former lieutenant with the Milwaukee Police Department, talking about sex trafficking, and we're going to get into the relationship between sex trafficking and domestic violence. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The 411 Live, your link to information. And now here's your food for thought. When he said I could have everything I've ever wanted, I didn't expect it to slip through my fingers in a split second. I started out as a girl living a life of happiness with someone I believed I could trust. Then he twisted what I saw into a world of darkness. He took away my innocence, broke me down until I was no longer a human being, sent me into the streets to find date after date, bed after bed, so I could earn the cold hard cash he couldn't wait to spend. People think I'm a lost cause, someone just looking for a good time, when in reality, I'm being trafficked, and they don't know the signs. This is only one example of sex trafficking. Maybe other victims can escape if everyone learns the signs before it's too late. For more information, visit the411live.org. Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect. It was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever. They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad, though? He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you? For more information, visit the411live.org. Welcome back to the 411 Live. We are continuing our conversation with Don Jones, who is a former lieutenant with the Milwaukee Police Department. When we left, we were talking about trauma, um, how officers can actually enhance the trauma to the victim by how they respond to the situation. Are police officers getting more training? I know that the 411 Live, there will be workshops and they're trying to talk to first responders and different people about how to identify what to do when you encounter a victim. But how is that going with the police department? Well, I think they are getting some training. I don't know that they're getting the appropriate amount of training that they really need to assist and identify. And 
I don't believe that they get the proper amount of time to conduct those investigations. We have a lot of amazing officers on the Milwaukee Police Department, but they're only as good as the amount of time that they're given and the amount of training that they're given. And definitely more more could be provided to them for both. Gotcha. Let's talk about uh, um, the relationship between domestic violence and sex trafficking. And I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart. When you mentioned it, when we were sitting next to each other at, at the workshop, it was like a light bulb because I didn't really put that together. But it makes sense. You know, a, a victim being beaten by the trafficker, domestic violence call. There you go. So how do um, do police handle those calls? Definitely there's a direct correlation between domestic violence and and human trafficking. I've been saying that from day one when I started investigating human trafficking, because prior to working at the Vice Control Division, I also worked at Sensitive Crimes. And I dealt a lot with uh, domestic violence, sexual assaults, physical abuses, and was very well versed in the control used in domestic violence. Now, the problem comes in identifying domestic violence from our officers, but it's even more disturbing when domestic violence isn't handled properly. And we often see that that's not the case. I know that in 2018, the, the number of domestic violence battery calls, just domestic violence battery, not any of the other domestic violence calls that officers responded to, we didn't even write up 50% of them. And that number was up because uh, Dr. Amy Obergon, who was a captain at Sensitive Crimes, uh, requested that an audit be done of the Milwaukee Police Department because we jointly identified that officers were not writing up domestic violence as they, they should have been. And whether that's training or whether that's lack on their part, we were, tr- were trying to determine that. At that time, Chief Flynn ordered mandatory training, which the domestic violence unit gave for a year for patrol officers and supervisors. Even still after that, we were still not writing up 50% of the domestic violence batteries that um, we were responding to. For me, this is very, very disheartening because not only does it have the direct correlation to human trafficking but it has a direct correlation to any type of violent crime in the mm-hmm. city of Milwaukee. And I think I've said that to you um, on that date, is how do we control um, serious violent crime against two individuals that don't know each other when we are setting a precedent that it's okay to beat, hurt, kill, stab the ones that we love in a domestic violence situation? And if we can't even show love and restraint in our own family, there is nothing to prevent us from hurting a stranger. And for me, that's a very sad environment to be in. Wow. Wow. So going back to domestic violence, say there's there's a call, a battery. There's a call. They get there. They don't take a report. They don't really respond as much. Could it be uh, a scenario whereas if they had taken it more seriously, they possibly could have rescued a sex trafficking victim? Absolutely. There were many 
domestic violence batteries that we were able to bring up during our investigations that were only identified as domestic violence, and some of them were never even written up. And for for me, that's very sad, especially since many of the victims are are children when they come into the lifestyle, and they don't know how to get out. And now here they are as as young adults in an environment, and they truly believe nobody's there to help, even being uh, the police responding to a call like that. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, and here's, you know, my the brainwaves going. Um, do you think that if there were more females in the higher ranks of the police department, there would be a different focus? I definitely think that uh, we have gone away from promoting the right people to rank. And as we can see, my personal opinion is the Fire and Police Commission should have a hand in anything that is appointed. They should be on that panel. They should be on that board um, deciding who the next person is going to be that's promoted to captain or above. And the reason for that is this is our city. So having one chief decide who is going to get promoted when that chief may not be there any longer is not what's going to benefit the city. And we need to be able to go through, and I know there's a lot more female uh, supervisors that should have been promoted over some of the, the male supervisors that were promoted, and Dr. Amy Obergon as one of them. And what she did with sensitive crimes was just an amazing feat and work with the community and, and change how investigations were done. And now that is lost and all that knowledge is lost. And I think you could have a male supervisor that's promoted, that's very well versed in human trafficking and very knowledgeable and in, in doing the right thing. But I think it's getting the right people mm-hmm. in those positions. Because I'll tell you, in my 25 years on the Milwaukee Police Department, I had two lieutenants attend my human trafficking training, and they they started um, opening their eyes to their officers underneath them. They're no longer on the department, but it's sad for me that our command staff, our our supervisors from lieutenant and above, don't really have the training that they need to support the officers and the investigators on the lower echelon of the the police department to say, yes, this is what you need to do. There is not a lot of guidance when it comes to investigations as um, serious as domestic violence and human trafficking for officers to know where to get the information and how to conduct the investigations properly. So you're saying it trickles down from the top. I do. Yeah. What's happening with Milwaukee Police Department? Is it unique or do you see it, you know, throughout police departments? Well, I think right now I see it throughout many of the police departments in Wisconsin. However, a lot of that has to do with Milwaukee police uh, officers becoming chiefs throughout Wisconsin and maintaining that mentality. And some just they don't understand and don't know. They haven't had the knowledge. We still hear terms like prostitute and whore. And I, I understand that uh, prostitute is in in the statute, and that's why people can use it. But training shows that using the term prostitute enables the trafficker. 
because the trafficker will say you're nothing but a prostitute. Nobody's going to believe you. And the minute law enforcement says, well, you're a prostitute, um, why should I believe you? All these trauma triggers go off and they're less likely to open up to law enforcement, especially when they're issuing citations and they put the handcuffs on. And now they've got all these things going through the head that the trafficker has told them. And they, at that point, they have to make a choice whether they're going to talk to law enforcement or not talk to law enforcement. And you use a trauma trigger like prostitute or whore, they're not going to trust you with their life. And the term whore should just absolutely be outlawed, that's no different than any derogatory term that is used to identify somebody's religion or race. And uh, that is commonly used throughout uh, law enforcement in many different locations. So sounds like the bottom line is training, training, more training. I think for a lot of it, it's training. I know with domestic violence, at the, we're at past the point of training. Mm-hmm. We, domestic violence has been around for so many decades before I was even an officer, and we're still not getting it. We're past the training point. We had mandatory training, and if officers aren't identifying that, then they need to step forward and ex- explain why they're not investigating those crimes. And if it's lack of time, lack of officers on the street, not being supported by their supervisors, then they need to step up. And we need to figure out who the good officers are and who the um, officers are that are creating this this shadow that the good officers have to um, sit under right? Um, trying to get the job done right. And we need to correct their actions. Is it a, a mentality thing of what domestic violence is? It's like, oh, well, it's his wife. He hit her. You know, she wasn't whatever. I think what you'll you will find, and this is just my opinion because there's no research done on it, is you will find um, very frustrating for officers because the cases may not be issued or the victim may not show up for court. But that goes um, is a direct correlation to human trafficking victims as well because we don't know the control. And it may very well be money. You know, you're not able to survive and you've got children and you have to think about your children. Or it it may be the fact that this person is stalking you and and they're going to find you and they're going to hurt you or hurt somebody that you love. And how do you how do you believe that you're going to be protected when um, very often officers show up and they don't even write a report? For me, it's very simple. We have body cams. Let's let's review the body cams. Let's review the cases. And I know um, Dr. Obergon requested, when she requested the audit, she requested the audit on cases that weren't written up. And, um, and, and as far as I know, that's not what had happened. The audit was done on cases that were written up. Right. And that's very deceptive. It's very deceptive for the community, but it's also, it hampers the officers as well that are out there doing an amazing job. And now they're in the limelight of officers that are not doing what they need to do. But you take, for instance, somebody that's called the police 15 times and we don't have one report written up. What likelihood is that person going to believe that somebody is going to help them? Very little, very Very little, very little. And you expect them to disclose. And then now you throw the human trafficking factor in there. 
and yeah, they're not going to trust somebody with their life. And it's very important for the victims to know that there is going to be help and somebody is going to believe them and they understand how frustrating it is. And no, I might not know the control, but let's figure this out together. Let's get advocates involved. Let's get community members involved and let's figure this out to get the help that is needed to get you out of that environment. Very good. Don Jones, former lieutenant with the Milwaukee Police Department, talking to us about domestic violence and how it relates to sex trafficking and her backstory. All good stuff. But we've run out of time. So we are going to do a part two to this. And we're going to make Don stay with us a little bit longer. So we hope that you will tune into that as well. Just a reminder that the 411 Live, um, we are embarking on a big project, the podcast, the docudramas, the work uh, workshops, and there are other things too. This costs money. So we are asking for your support. If you like what we're doing, you're committed, you believe in this topic, you want to spread the word, help us. You can go to the 411live.org website, and you can see a multitude of different ways to donate or become a sponsor. Uh, that helps us tremendously. We have a big project ahead of us, but it costs money. And we think the community will stand behind us and help us to do what we are trying to do. So there are a lot of good things going on. Uh, also go to that website, the411live.org, to get more on this podcast and others that we have done. And you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, you know, we're everywhere. So check us out and thank you for joining us. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Thank you.